Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, May 25th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. An awful day in this nation's history. Families are wrecked today in Texas. Families are mourning. There are a lot more consequential events going on in the world than in baseball. And it's important to acknowledge that. This is a show about baseball, and so we'll talk about that here with Heavy Hearts. Taylor Schwenk is producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. Sarah Abbott is working from her home uh, in West Hartford. I'm Buster Only working from my home studio in New York. Last night, the Braves and the Phillies in Atlanta, and Atlanta was trailing 5-4 to four when this happened. 2-2. Swing and a fly ball out towards right center field. Quinn over to his left, over to his right. Cassianos. Quinn can't come up with it. It falls to the to the ground. Acuna into second, and he's in there. And the Phillies wondering what in the world just happened out in right center. It's a tie game. What in the world? The Phillies defense manifesting again. The Phillies bullpen manifesting again. So with a score tied, William Contreras came to the plate. 1-1 one, one pitch. There's a liner out towards center field. It will lay down. Base hit. Here comes Ronald. Braves win it. That from 680, the fan. We've got the Phillies on Sunday Night Baseball this week against the Mets. The Blue Jays have been one of baseball's biggest disappointments so far, especially their offense. But Danny Jansen and the Blue Jays' offense broke out on Tuesday night. 3-2. Swing a high fly ball. Out to left field. Down the line. And it is gone! Three-run home run for Danny Jansen. His fourth of the season is an absolute no-doubter. Here's Jansen drilling another one. Yes, sir, he's got a pair of long balls tonight in St. Louis. An absolute rocket over the bullpen in left center field for Danny Jansen. Another multiple homer game for the Toronto backstop. And the Blue Jays have an 8-0 lead. Those calls from Sportsnet 590, the fan. In Tampa Bay, the Rays and the Marlins. And Kevin Kiermeyer got the Rays started. And the first pitch from Pablo Lopez to Kevin Kiermaier is slammed to center, past the diving Sanchez, and look out to the races. Kiermaier to second base, heading to third. Linares is going to wave him home. Here comes the throw to the plate, and the game begins with an inside-the-park home run for Kevin Kiermaier. one nothing Rays. FM620 WDA, the Rays win the game 4 to nothing. The Brewers have been having a lot of roster issues. They place right-hander Freddie Peralta on the 15-day injury list with a right lat strain Monday. What Craig Council, the Brewers manager, told reporters was this would be a significant loss for the Brewers in terms of time that Peralta's out. Closer Josh Hader went on family medical emergency list. Uh, his wife has had complications as they expect their first child. And they also place outfielder Hunter Renfro on the 10-day injury list with a strained right hamstring. The San Diego Padres place right-hander Mike Clevenger in the 15-day injured list Sunday because of a tricep strain. Bob Melvin, their manager, said he didn't think this was necessarily going to be a big deal. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. 
Vivid Seats, life happens fast. What a wild game in San Francisco last night. You had the Giants, you had the Mets. The Giants took a big lead after Jock Peterson came to the plate in the fifth inning. Hit into center field. Nimmo back at the wall. Out of here. He's done it again. He knew it. He dropped ahead and never took a step. He got 93 miles per hour right over the middle on a tee. He hits it and never moves. Dwayne Kuyper, Mike Kruko on the Giants call there. It was 8-2 San Francisco at that point. And you're thinking, okay, the Giants are in control. No. The Mets would come roaring back with help from Francisco Lindor. And Lindor shoots one over the bag. That's a fair ball, and the Mets will take the lead. Giorme is in. Nimmo scores. Here comes Marte. It gets by the left fielder, Peterson. Lindor will be held at third. It's a three-run triple for Lindor, and the Mets lead it 10-8 in the eighth inning. Gary Cohen and SNY. But in the bottom of the eighth inning, Peterson struck again. It was 11-11 to at that point. A Brandon Nemo sacrifice fly gave the Mets a 12-11 lead in the top of the ninth. In the bottom of the ninth inning, this happened. The 1-1 pitch. Swing, line drive to center, base hit. Here comes Yastrzemski, and he scores. It's tied up. Jock Peterson does it again. What a night for Jock Peterson. That's his eighth RBI. The pitch, Crawford hits a ground ball into left field, base hit, can he make it, Cannon charges, here comes the throw, here's the slide, he is free, Ruff scores, the ball game is over, incredibly, the Giants come back, and they come back again, and now they have won it. John Miller, one of the best ever with those game-ending calls out in San Francisco. Since our podcast taped on Monday, Major League Baseball announced that Josh Donaldson uh, received a one-game suspension and an undisclosed fine from that incident on Saturday when he called Tim Anderson Jackie. Uh, For the first time since that decision came down about the suspension, and which, by the way, is being appealed by Donaldson. Tim Anderson spoke with reporters. Here he was yesterday at a press conference. I really not no reaction. Um, that means out of my control. Um, so I guess I'm cool. I'm cool and whatever. Uh, yeah, I could definitely move on. Uh, you know, but I'm not looking for no friendship, no relationship, or, or you know, uh, from from that behalf. You know, uh, but I'm gonna continue to you know keep playing hard and keep uh, you know being a great teammate and uh, you know keep being a, uh, the best version of myself I can be. Yeah, um, you know, I think 2019, uh, you know, he did, he did say that, and I, and I told him that you know we don't, we don't have to talk again. Uh, you know, I won't speak to you, won't speak to me. If that's how you gonna refer to me, and. Uh, you know, so I, I know he knew, you know exactly what he was doing because uh, I already told him. But yeah, he go to Minnesota, you know, two or three years. Uh, don't say nothing to me because he know I already dressed it. Um, and we, uh, you know, we get into it. You know, me, me sliding back, so I push him off me. Uh, so what? Um, and you know, he felt the need to, you know, say it again. But you know, he was trying to provoke me.
me. Many know that we don't. And he at least got a message, though, through that punishment? I hope so. You know, nobody uh, else's pain really mattered. You know, uh, I think it was all about how I felt and, uh, you know, how I handled the situation. So, you know, I don't think it really was about anybody else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's been nothing but love, you know, from my, from my teammates, um, from the coaching staff, you know, from his organization. Uh, I can say that, you know, things got handled the right way. And, uh, you know, I feel the support, I feel the love, and I appreciate them for sure. He basically said also that in his exchanges with Josh Donaldson, since Donaldson first referenced this in 2019, his attitude, his feeling was, look, you're going to do what you're going to do, and I'm not going to respond to you. The game played between the Red Sox and White Sox last night was a blowout. Rafael Devers getting a big hit for Boston. 2-0 is sky deep to left field. Did he get enough? It's back at the track at the wall. He did. Goodbye, Rafi Devers. An opposite field home run. His 10th. The big flies keep on coming, and it's 8-0 Red Sox. Matt from WEI 93.7 FM. Paul Ambikidi sent me a note this morning that yesterday was the highest scoring day of the season so far. 163 total runs in 15 games, 10.9 runs per game, 46 homers was the most as well. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we're creeping up on the NBA Finals. These conference final series have been a bit of a dud, but uh, you know Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst, they're going to see those through. You can listen to those guys on The Low Post with Zach Lowe and The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkson, who covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, how you doing this week? Uh, I'm well, Buster. How's it going? Uh, good. Uh, still a lot of adrenaline from that game last night, Giants and Mets. We're going to talk uh, today about the Major League Baseball's decision to suspend Josh Donaldson for one game, uh, something I strongly disagreed with. I'll, I'll give my my uh, take on that. I'm curious about yours. But first, I want to you know, talk about a little bit about that Giants and Mets game last night, and in particular, Jock Peterson. Four for six, three homers, Eight RBI so far this year. He's hitting 255, but he's got 10 homers and he's got an 894 uh, OPS. I got to say, Tim, that like over the course of his career, Jock Peterson's kind of won me over because I, I, I like the fact that 
you know, he's sort of evolved. I think you remember when he was at the Dodgers, it felt like there were times when it just seemed like he was doing nothing other than trying to hit home runs on every swing. Uh, but as time has gone on, you understand this is someone who's not afraid. <laughs> like you see him in the home run derbies and the time he's done that, not afraid, big moments, not afraid. And I love you know, the conversation I had this spring with Alex Anthopoulos about the Atlanta Braves championship ring. And you think about all the guys who've been in that organization forever, whether it's Chipper Jones or Freddie Freeman, uh, Brian Snicker, and the guy who was most influential in the formation of that ring was Jock Peterson, who's becoming a winner, Tim. He's like, well, who is it? Was it Robert Ory who would bounce from team to team in the NBA and it would always land on winners? And it probably wasn't a coincidence. Yeah, I'm with you. He's already won me over, Buster. He won me over last year. And it's not a coincidence that wherever he goes, teams start to win and he gets big hits, especially in October. It was easy to just lump him in with the Dodgers and say, well, part of the reason they keep winning is he's on the Dodgers. But he was an instrumental player with the Braves last year for them winning. I did their series against the the Braves on the uh, Braves Brewers on the radio. He was critical in that series and was for the rest of the postseason. Then yesterday, first giant to have a three homer game at home since Barry Bonds in 1994. And he had a conversation, as you know, with Bonds before the game talked about hitting. And uh, Peterson said it was like the most illuminating baseball conversation, hitting conversation he's had in a long time. No surprise it came with Barry Bonds who really understood the art of hitting So he's got 10 homers. Nobody else on the Giants has half that many. He is a big reason that they're in the middle of this pennant race again. Uh, Paul McGee sent those notes about how yesterday was the highest scoring day of a season, which so far has been a hitter's disaster. I think you'd agree with me on that. Uh, Do you think this is a sign that, you know what, the weather is heating up and we're going to see a lot more offense as we go forward? Well, I certainly hope so, Buster. You know, I say on a nightly basis, wherever I am, I don't know anyone gets a hit anymore. The pitching is so ridiculously good. And if you look at those averages, Buster, on a daily basis for every team, it's like half the teams don't have anyone hitting close to 300. We know that the league batting average as of the other day was 236, which would be the lowest in the history of major league baseball and the on base percentage was 307. That was the lowest since 1947. That's going to change because the warm weather allows the ball to travel far farther. And our hitters hate to hit in cold weather. Everyone hates to hit in cold weather. It's going to warm up. We're going to see some more runs, but this thought that suddenly the hitters are going to take over things, it's not, they're not. Uh, Gabe Kapler told us a couple of weeks ago in St. Louis, this is the most challenging atmosphere for a hitter in the history of baseball. There's, it's never been harder to get a hit than it is right now. So it was encouraging to see a 13 to 12 game last night and balls flying all over the park because it's just not as good a game when there are 18 strikeouts and, you know, 10 hits. Following the incidents that happened at Yankee Stadium over the weekend, White Sox, Yankees, Josh Donaldson, uh, Tim Anderson, uh, on Monday's podcast, uh, Jeff Passan and I talked about uh, what the commissioner might do. Turned out the commissioner, Tim, didn't do anything. He left it to his underlings, Mike Hill, uh, to make the decision to suspend Josh Donaldson for one game 
with a fine, which Donaldson has uh, appealed. Now, Donaldson went on a COVID-19 protocol uh, restricted list or injured list and wasn't available to play. But I got to say, I was really surprised by this. And and the first thing I was surprised uh, by with this decision was that Rob Manfred didn't seize the moment and be the leader in the moment to come in and make that decision in what was a really important decision uh, on, you know, by himself and put his name on it. Uh, and two, I was surprised they gave Donaldson only one game. Uh, the more people that I'd spoke with in the game, uh, they felt that whether he, whatever his intent was, the words that he, the word that he used and effectively weaponized in a moment of uh, tension between he and Tim Anderson, it just wasn't appropriate. And that's what we heard from Aaron Boone. That's what we heard from Aaron Judge yesterday. Uh, for the first time uh, since the suspension was rendered, Tim Anderson talked about the history of this word. Josh Donaldson over the weekend said, "Yeah, we, uh, you know, something we kind of joked around about." It's pretty clear from here. Tim Anderson, he didn't ever think it was a joke. That his feeling was, look, you're going to say what you're going to say, but I know exactly why you're saying it. And I can't believe that baseball would let someone use this word in this way in a moment of tension and get only one game. And I know Rob is a big precedent guy, um, but shoot, Tim, it, what was it? The 2017 World Series, you had Yuli Gurriel get five games for making that racist gesture they could have done better in this case than where they landed. What did you think? Well, I was asked on baseball tonight on Sunday, what do I think the punishment would be? And it, it doesn't matter what I think. I thought it would be maybe one game, and that's what he got. And yes, the commissioner should have been more out front on this because what Josh Donaldson did was disrespectful. It wasn't smart, and it wasn't funny at all. And I think... We need to send a message that this is unacceptable behavior on the baseball field. So more than one game, I certainly would not have had a problem with the suspension of more than one game. But I think at least one game suggests that we're not going to put up with this anymore in baseball. It was, again, it was really a, a poorly Cho chosen words by Josh Donaldson and to repeat it wasn't funny at all that's an inside joke maybe that friends have with each other but they're not friends they've had dust-ups before it was unacceptable and I'm glad there was a suspension I thought there might be a little more but I wasn't surprised it was only one game so I, I'm going to tell the story again that I mentioned to Jeff uh, from my conversations with our colleague Claire Smith uh, who, who told me about uh, something that happened when she was covering the Yankees in the 1980s. And she said there was a, you know, a club employee who, as she passed, referred to as, as Aunt Jemima. Uh, and, and Claire, in relating this, you know, this is someone who didn't know Claire. But what really got to Claire, uh, besides the initial words, was the fact that she had to deal with the whole sets of questions that were attached to that that, you know, thereafter, she knew she probably had the power to get that person fired if she had, you know, depending on who she had called. But she also felt like, why do I have to deal with this? And I kept on thinking of Claire over the weekend. And even yesterday, when you heard, you know, Tim Anderson's voice in that press conference, Tim, from what I understand, you know, uh, Tim Anderson, that happens on the field. They have a couple of dust ups where the bench is empty. Uh, you know, he's pulled away. Then after the game, he's got to answer questions about because of what Josh Donaldson said, 
he had to answer questions from reporters. From what we've heard, Eduardo Perez and I, White Sox players telling us Tim Anderson was really down uh, bef- on Sunday. And, he, you know, he was out of the lineup in game one of the doubleheader. Uh, he comes up for his first plate appearance in game two and fans are chanting Jackie. And he gets booed. And then after the game, or you, you know, he was going to be asked questions about it again. He didn't want to be asked questions about it. So he didn't deal with it that day. Uh, but he had to deal with it again yesterday. And Tim, you and I know fans, there'll be people uh, yelling Jackie at him the rest of his career. Is that fair that all of this was put upon him and one game? Come on. Yeah, it, it's not fair, Buster, and it, it's not it's not a good look for baseball. I mean, we're, we're talking about Jackie Robinson here, the most important player in the history of the sport and one of the most important people in the history of the civil rights movement in this country. And to use his name in anything other than total respect is really worrisome to me. And that's the sad part about this, and that's why – That's why I look at things like this and it just makes me sad because this should not be happening in 2022. No, Tim Anders should should not be having to deal with this, but he is. And he dealt with it the last three days. He's going to have to continue to deal with it as we move forward. Uh, And I wish there was an acknowledgement at some point from Josh about that. And regardless of whatever suspension I can, I really was surprised that he appealed the suspension. All right. One of the questions I asked Jeff on Monday was, who's the best player in baseball to this point, Aaron Judge or Manny Machado? And Judge continues to hit. Machado continues to hit. How would you answer that question? Uh, It's a toss up. Mike Trout, by the way, is still the best player in baseball for me. However, for this season, I would go Aaron Judge, even though Machado is having a spectacular season for the Padres, especially when he looks to his left and his his cohort, Fernando Tatis Jr., has not been there. He's playing next to a different shortstop all the time, and he's hitting like crazy. But Aaron Judge is doing it with tremendous power. He's doing it um, in New York, which always helps on these things. And he's just a different kind of player buster. He's He strikes out quite a bit like everyone still does, but he looks even better as a hitter to me, his plate coverage. He can get the balls up and down now and the power that he is showing. I would take Aaron judge in a toss up over Manny Machado. What team is your biggest disappointment in 2022? Um, Well, there are a bunch of teams that haven't played very well. Um, I thought the Mariners would be better than this, Buster. I did not pick them to make the playoffs for the first time since 2001, and they got off to a really nice start, and I thought, you know, here come the Mariners, and it just it just hasn't happened. They lost again last night, and I'm not shocked that they are where they are, but it's it, it's been a disappointing season, I think, in Seattle, given all the moves they made and some of the young guys they brought up. The Red Sox, of course, were a huge disappointment until the last six games, and now they've exploded offensively, led by Trevor Story. So I think there are a bunch of teams you look at and say, I, I thought that team would be better. The White Sox, certainly, I thought would run away with that division, and they haven't been the same team either, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt with so many injuries to so many key players. So a bunch of disappointing teams out there, but let's not forget, Buster, the Padres last year 
had the best record after 50 games, the best record in baseball. And not only didn't make the playoffs, they finished under 500. And the Braves didn't get over 500 until August the 6th and won the World Series. This is the one true sport where you can say bad start, hot start doesn't prove everything. We see, we need to go a whole lot longer than this. Yeah, Tigers, I thought, would be a lot better this year. They're right. on pace to lose over 100 games. Uh, we got a Bleach tweet coming up about uh, we just tell you everything about how disappointing their offense is. Toronto Blue Jays, and, and maybe I'm a little bitter, Tim, because I picked them to win the World Series. They're not feeling too smart. They're tied, you know, that incredible offense we saw at the end of last year. They were, uh, you know, they were, they were, felt like the most dangerous team in the American League. Right now, they're tied for 25th in runs, even after that blowout win last night in St. Louis. And yeah, individuals on that team, there's been some struggles. If you look at the chase rate of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that's got to change. It uh, took a big jump there, probably because he's feeling the pressure to do something. Teoscar Hernandez was injured. He's back now. Uh, you know, Bo Bichette got off to a slow start. Front office also has made some mistakes, right? Uh, were they, uh, you know, to, in order to try to make up for the lost offense of Marcus Simeon last year, they bet on Matt Chapman who, you know, as good as he is defensively, he has regressed offensively year year to year. And this year he's batting 192. Rymel Tapia uh, has been a non-factor. You know, they wanted to get him as a left-handed hitter who could help balance out that lineup. It hasn't happened. Paul Hembikides has told us about how the, the Blue Jays have an historically low rate of favorable matchups for their hitters. And that would be uh, you know, right-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers or left-handed hitters against right-handed pitchers. Because they're so right-handed, they're constantly swimming upstream against bad pitching matchups. Yeah, again, Buster, I think the Blue Jays will will get out of this. I think they'll be a devastating offensive team eventually, but they're just over three runs a game for the entire month of May. And that just doesn't follow with as many impactful offensive players that they have that that's going to turn, but you're right. There are a lot of teams that are, have been a little bit disappointing and I guess you can put the Blue Jays near that list. All right. You remember those days when I uh, lobbied heavily for Madison Bumgarner to be in the home run derby? I, I remember them well, Buster. You, you said it many times. Uh, well, see, obviously we're moving past that now that we're in this era of the universal DH. Well, Eduardo Perez and I uh, came up with an idea yesterday that I want to ask you about when we were looking at the potential home run derby field. And we are now, you know, officially in that time when uh, you know, Major League Baseball is beginning to look at what the derby field might be. You would assume Pete Alonso is going to be there, uh, two-time defending champion. You know, hopefully Shohei Otani will come back. Well, we were talking about Eduardo and I on the phone yesterday about how much fun it's been to watch Albert Pools this year. Like he's having fun in a way that he hasn't before. And so you're thinking, well, maybe do the Derby, but you know what? He's older and, and maybe that event physically would be too much. So we came up with this idea. How about an old guy tag team entrant for the home run Derby as a way to honor great stars and to give them an opportunity to have fun on a national stage how about an old guy tag team of Albert Pujols and Joey Votto as a way to let these guys uh, you know, have, a, have a moment on the big stage in the home run derby, and they could trade off, right? Where, where Albert could swing for a minute, and then he could, he could uh, tag out, and Joey Votto could step in 
I think that would be a lot of fun. And Ward and I were laughing about uh, the potential of something like that. Are you buying? Uh, yeah, I'm buying, but I think you, none of this is going to happen, but I think you should consider a Yadier Molina thing also. Maybe it's a three-man tag team because it's the last year that Yadier is probably going to play. He's probably not going to be in the All-Star game, so let's get him to the All-Star weekend and have him hit home runs. And maybe, given what we've seen in the last two weeks, um, maybe they could throw to each other. Albert could be the BP pitcher for Yadier and Yadier for Albert. By the way, Buster, those guys pitched in a week apart in victories for the Cardinals. So I checked the last time any team used a position player in a victory twice in one season. The last time that happened was 1918 with Ty Cobb and Bobby Veach of the Tigers. That was the last time any team used two position players each in a victory in the same season. And the Cardinals did it a week apart. And of course I was there for Pujols. It was a magical moment for those people in that ballpark. And then the look on Pujols' face when he caught Yadier getting loose to throw against the Pirates a week later, that's priceless stuff. So I would love to see an old time tag team. I just think Joey Votto's too good. And he's going to play too many years. Maybe we should just get the guys who aren't going to play after this year and let them have one last shot to hit some balls over the fence. I think Votto's got one year left on his contract. Like he's he's nearing the end of his career, right? Or maybe Miguel Cabrera or something. You know, maybe you bring Miggy into the mix, you know? But those guys, I think, would have an absolute blast. And I was thinking about like a comparable situation. Imagine in 2001 – if at the home run derby they had a tag team of Tony Gwynn and Cal Ripken, that would have been a lot, a lot of fun. Right. I'm all for anything that would jazz it up. I'm all for anything that would make sure we we never forget these great players that we've seen all these years. Maybe the four team tag team with M- Miggy, Yachty, Albert, and Joey Votto. I'm in. Count me in. Anybody who says it's a gimmick, well, you know what? The whole thing is a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Of course it is. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. They change the rules all the time. Tim, before we go, I'm curious. uh, Let's talk to our two fans, Taylor, Sarah, chime in. What do you think? Do you think it's too gimmicky or do you like it? No, that sounds absolutely incredible. And I love the tag team idea. Old guy tag team. I mean, it's just, yeah, let's put some, let's put some wrestling masks on too while we're at it. Let's spice it up (laughs) any way we can. (laughs) I mean, old guy tag team. You don't have to say anything else. Hilarious. I'm in. (laughs) Oh yeah, and and I, and I think it was, I was the whole conversation was inspired by how much fun we've been having. As Tim referenced, watching Albert, watching Yachty pitch, uh, you know, and hit, and just be in different situations, seeing how much fun Joey Votto's having at this stage in his career, it would be a blast. So just something to think about as we go forward. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. I thank you, Buster. See you guys. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 
93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. Or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week? Buster, I am well. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, I have been thinking uh, recently uh, on the internet, I was watching a minor league game, and it got me to thinking about minor league rebranding, which seemed to be a thing, you know, in the last decade where you saw teams come up with new nicknames, new hats, new schemes, that sort of thing. But between COVID and the reduction of minor league teams from what was it, 162 to 142, something in that range, uh, I was wondering about that trend. You know, what's happened to that trend of minor league teams rebranding? Yeah, Buster, you hit it. Uh, we have we were on fire with this kind of stuff five, 10 years ago, and things have diminished significantly uh, attributable to those two things that you talked about. You can't get around the fact that the lost minor league season of 2020 diminished any kind of revenues uh, for minor league clubs uh, and a brand, a rebrand is a significant expenditure for a minor league club because they really depend upon sales of merchandise to uh, drive their revenue and, of course, the uh, reorganization of the minor leagues uh, has really put a dent into this as well. So we're not seeing nearly as many, you know, we're seeing a trickle of rebrands, nothing compared to what it was only a few years back. Wow. Uh, well, you know that, uh, you know, there's some owners who probably are still in the process of recovering from that lost 2020 season. It'll be interesting to see where minor league baseball is a decade from now. All right, let's get to this week's Phantom Franchise. All right, here we go, Buster. The Braves vacated Milwaukee for Atlanta prior to the 1966 season, and 32-year-old Bud Selig saw an opportunity. He put together an ownership group to either lure a team to Milwaukee or secure an expansion franchise. 
But first, he arranged for the Chicago White Sox to host an exhibition game at Milwaukee's County Stadium, a showcase of sorts. On July 24th, 1967, the Chicago White Sox and Minnesota Twins drew 51,144 fans, which was about four times what the White Sox were drawing at Comiskey Park for actual games that counted in the standings. White Sox owner Arthur Allen saw an opportunity here as well. His team, plagued by several seasons of declining attendance, scheduled nine regular season games in Milwaukee in 1968, one against each AL franchise. These games drew 265,552 fans in their nine games at County Stadium versus 538,323 for 59 dates at Comiskey Park. On May 9th, 1968, the Los Angeles Times reported that the American League had given the White Sox permission to move to Milwaukee. Chicago owner Arthur Allen was seeking to build a $43 million sports complex in Chicago, and Milwaukee seemed like a very viable backup plan in case the new Chicago ballpark fell through. It would have hosted both the White Sox and the Cubs, but it was never built. Can you imagine that? The White Sox came back to County Stadium again in 1969, this time for 11 games in an expanded American League. Of the 589,546 fans who attended White Sox games in 1969, 391,335 did so at White Sox Park, an average of 6,673, while 198,000 fans attended games in Milwaukee, which worked out to 18,000 per game. In September 1969, Seelig's group offered Allen $13 million plus the profits from the sale of Comiskey Park, but the deal was vetoed by Allen's brother, John, who was opposed to moving the team out of the Windy City. John Allen then took control of the White Sox, thus securing the team for the Windy City. Milwaukee got their club in 1970 when the defunct Seattle Pilots moved to Wisconsin. But today, Buster, we pay homage to the Milwaukee White Sox, and they are this week's phantom franchise. Wow. Uh, it would be interesting to see if uh, Bud Selig, if they had gotten the White Sox, had decided to change the name of the team, you know, going to Milwaukee. But as I was listening to you uh, talk about the history there, I, it got me to thinking about Bud Selig, you know, who is uh, has been, as you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's got a lot on his resume when it comes to, you know, being the commissioner uh, at the time that baseball, you know, 1994 had a labor stoppage, World Series was canceled, the steroid era, et cetera. But I got to tell you, among the owners that I've run across in my time covering baseball, which is now a long time, I don't know if anybody loved baseball, you know, more than Bud. Like yeah. Bud truly loved baseball. And in our conversations that you and I have had on the podcast in recent years, boy, it seems like his name pops up all the time as someone in terms of trying to foster baseball or get baseball or get a team, which is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely, Buster. And I think you look at the totality of his resume, if you want to look at it that way, and people argue about the fact that, I mean, Hall of Fame arguments, this is what we do. Baseball right. fans argue about the Hall of Fame. It's one of the things that, that makes the Hall of Fame great. Uh, Bud Selig, to me, is a deserving Hall of Famer. The influence that uh, he basically has had on the game is so outsized. Yes, 1994 
will forever be a black mark on, on that resume. Uh, and the idea of, of an owner becoming commissioner was probably less than savory, but expanded playoffs, the, the revenue ramping up. I mean, just so, so many things. And as you said, Buster, a huge, huge baseball fan. I have a good friend of mine who uh, teaches a college course with him, uh, sports law at Arizona State University. I hear these stories. I want to go out there one of these days and sit in on a lecture. Yeah, just real quick before we move on to this week's quiz, you agree with me? Like, what's taking so long to get George Steinbrenner in the Hall of Fame? Who, uh, you know, to me, he's he's like Marvin Miller. Like him or not like him, you can't dispute the impact that he had on the sport. Yeah, we've talked about him before. Love him, hate him. A tremendous, tremendous impact on the game. Uh, an outsized resume. And listen, we've got owners in the Hall of Fame already. We've got many executives in the Hall of Fame even more recent, very deserving executives, John Sherholtz, who built the Atlanta Braves into the dynasty that they were with the one world championship in 1995. Get Steinbrenner in there at some point. And I'm a Red Sox fan, as you know, but uh, George deserves it. All right, get, let's get to this week's quiz. Speaking of the Yankees, Buster, and everybody, here we go. Paul O'Neill's number 21 is being retired by the Yankees this season. So here's this week's question. Paul O'Neill played 1,254 games in pinstripes. This player had his number retired by the Yankees after playing only 653 games in the Bronx. Was it Elston Howard, Reggie Jackson, Joe DiMaggio, or Roger Maris? Paul O'Neill, 1,254 games as a Yankee. This player, whose Yankee number is retired, played only 653 games as a Yankee. Elston wow. Howard, Reggie Jackson, Jody, or Roger Maris. All right, Taylor, you want to go first? Or should we give Sarah the honor since uh, she was six, uh, correct last week? I say Sarah goes first. Okay. Okay. Um, whatever option B was from Reggie ACT, Jackson. ACT test prep. We're going, we're going to <laughs> Reggie Jackson. There you go. Taylor? I will go Elston Howard. All right, I'm going Reggie Jackson as well. I'm back in Sarah on this one. Sarah and Buster continue to no, roll because no. it is Reggie Jackson. Yes, unbelievable. Yeah. I would just like to thank mom and dad for putting me in those ACT test prep classes because this is where it's paying off. <laughs> you know, I say it all the time, Sarah. You have a one in four chance, and you add to that this particular strategy handed down by your parents. I mean... I, I, I think you were uh, on fire, and uh, I sense a horse race. Nice. Well, and I'd say this. Reggie Jackson, Todd, you'll agree with me on this. His, uh, his legacy with the Yankees is outsized because so much uh, – he did so much in the postseason. Yeah. You know, the, the three-home run game at the end of 1977, five homers in that World Series, all the stuff back and forth between him, Billy Martin – if a fan thought that Reggie Jackson spent many, many years with the Yankees, you wouldn't be surprised. But it was only a small part of his Hall of Fame career. The impact of Reggie Jackson. Buster, you and I will remember this well. And I've talked about this before. I went to game one of the 1977 World Series with my right. dad in the Bronx. Um, there was so much happening in that short time that Reggie Jackson was a Yankee. Yes, he is a World Series champion three times over with the Oakland A's before he got to Yankee Stadium. He had some good years with the California Angels. He had a little hiccup with the Baltimore Orioles after Oakland before New York. 
But uh, the the old, if you can make it there, you're going to make it anywhere. New York, New York. That's what he did. And he made me cry as a 13, <laughs> as a 13 and 14 year old Dodger fan. I can tell you that. All right, Todd, thanks for doing this. Thanks, everybody. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, we have Frank at fbonfig7. Frank writes, and guys, I just got out of the Facing Nolan documentary showing. I was blown away by Nolan Ryan's competitiveness and humility. Buster, is he on your Mount Rushmore for pitchers? Any notable anecdotes you have with him? Buster, first of all, just off the top of your head, what's your Mount Rushmore pitchers? Yeah, so, uh, you know, thank God Tim has moved on because, of course, he went to Walter Johnson High School. and Walter Johnson should be on the Mount Rushmore pitchers. But I tend to believe that, you know, guys, that uh, pitchers continue to get better. I have a hard time putting a, somebody from the 1910s on a, a Mount Rushmore knowing how pitchers have evolved. So here are my four for today. Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, and, yes, I do think Nolan Ryan because he was such an – outlier you know I don't think he was necessarily the the most refined pitcher there are times when he wasn't the best pitcher I think in in years certainly Tom Seaver was better than him Bob Gibson was better than him but when you look at his career totals (laughs) like strikeouts and walks and, and I mean he just was different he was just a completely different physical being in terms of how much he pitched you know as Justin Verlander has said the fact that he was able to be a a power pitcher into his mid forties. Yeah, I'd buy that. I'd put him on the Mount Rushmore. Now, competitiveness. I'll just parrot the story that Tim loves to talk about when the when the Rangers played in the World Series. Uh, they had Nolan Ryan throw out a first pitch, and Jim Sunberg, who had been his longtime catcher and, and certainly had been retired for a long time, uh, was in street clothes and squatted down to try to catch him. And Nolan's fastball, I think, was clocked at like 86 miles an hour on a first pitch. And Jim <laughs> Sunberg had to lurch to catch the ball, and he split his pants when he did that. If that wasn't the all-time first pitch story, I don't know what was. Definitely on the hall, on the uh, Mount Rushmore first pitches. Let's go to here for FRL. Travis writes in with the electronic signals. I never thought I would miss knowing what the pitcher was throwing when a runner was not on second, but I actually do miss that part of the game a little bit. Not saying the electronic signals are not necessary. Thoughts? I hear you. Uh, if, but if the trade is uh, you know, us not knowing what the forthcoming pitch is and not having the delays, <laughs> like they go along with that, with the pitchers and catchers, you know, stepping off and sequencing and timeouts and trying to get on the same page. And then we had the, you know, potential for sign stealing and scandals and all that. I'd rather have the electronic system. Sorry. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in the Detroit Tigers offense is a tough watch this season. Do you agree with me that their best hitters actually been Miguel Cabrera? Yes. Isn't that crazy that Miguel Cabrera, despite all the young players they have so far, he's hitting 289. He has a 733 OPS, which isn't great by any means, but he's been the best that they've got so far. RBI leader on the team, Miguel Cabrera, uh, his weighted runs created plus uh, is better than the whole team, which is 78. That's the worst in the big leagues. Get him on an old guy tag team in the home run. Yes. 
Last one for today, Richard Kelsey at that Chester kid writes in, feel like the the Marlins are one big free agent away or two from being a real threat in the NL, a clubhouse slash impact signing. Scherzer to the Mets is uh, his example. Could empower a young team like them to take that to take them to the next step. Also, Jazz is one step from being a top 10 player, in my opinion. Yes, uh, I would say all that, but here's the thing. In other words, they're right back to where they were when Derek Jeter came on board with his ownership. Remember, <laughs> you know, they had Stanton, who had been the National League MVP. They had Christian Yelich. They had JT Real Muto. They had this lineup that every, you know, folks with other teams like, boy, they had a couple of pitchers. That's a team that could go deep in October, but they broke it up because they couldn't afford it. That's the big question as we go forward. Can they actually spend money? Because there is a core there, as there was when Derek took over the team. Love a little uh, Derek Jeter knife twist to close out the show. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, and we will be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim, Todd, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Requires Gemini device and additional paid subscriptions to watch Netflix and other third-party apps. Terms and restrictions apply.